I asked Chris to read from Psalm 90 because it's written by Moses and says some things that I think are especially precious in light of the passage that we're going to look at today in Exodus 32. Moses acknowledges that sometimes believers feel the discipline of the Lord and he asks God to bless them and to establish them and to allow them to experience his goodness and to satisfy them every day, every morning with God's presence. And as we look at Exodus 32, I would encourage you to keep that kind of prayer in your mind. And if you leave today with the heaviness of Exodus 32 on your soul, let me encourage you to look back to Psalm 90 to see the type of prayer that Moses prayed because of what happened in Exodus 32. You know that I am committed to preaching through entire books of the Bible. And Today, we are going to look at one of the darkest chapters in the Bible. And the reason I preach through books is because my human temptation would be to never preach on chapters like Exodus 32. It's not pleasant. It's not something that you read and it puts a smile on your face. And yet, I believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. Our whole church does. If you have joined and become a member of this church, you have affirmed you also believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God and that we need all of it, not the parts that we find beautiful and encouraging, not just those parts. We can thank God and praise God for the beauty of weddings like in John chapter 2. And for all of the great and rich blessings that God gives and provides for us all through the pages of Scripture. For Psalms like Psalm 23 that provide great comfort. But the reality is, all of God's Word is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That the person of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And if you go through your Christian life and you only look at Psalm 23 and you only look at John chapter 2 and you never look at painful, difficult, dark places in the Bible, you will not be equipped. And although I say that in some sense this is dark, it's not dark because of who God is and what God does. It's dark because this chapter exposes the depth of our sin and who we are. And it's not pleasant. God inspired the events recorded in Genesis 32 to be written down as part of his word so that we would learn from them as his people. And we neglect them to our spiritual peril. This chapter is almost as bad as Genesis chapter 3. If you, if you are familiar with the beginning of the Bible, you might remember the creation of the world. You might remember the paradise that God places man in. And in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve disobey the one clear command that God gave them. And all of humanity is plunged into sin and death because of their sin. In this chapter... God has blessed his people with his presence and provision. He has redeemed them out of Egypt so that they can worship him and enjoy his presence with them. 
He has rescued them with incredible power. He has led them through the Red Sea on dry ground in great victory. He has taken them to Mount Sinai where they have seen echoes of his glory. They have heard his law. They understand his goodness. They have promised to love and obey him. They swear to obey his covenant and laws. And then they immediately, in Exodus chapter 32, forsake God for another false god while Moses is still praying on the mountain. Their actions are as appalling as a bride who exchanged marriage vows with her husband in the afternoon and then invited a stranger to bed on her wedding night. Any husband in that situation would be furious. And so is God. In the first half of this message today, we will see the danger of God's wrath. And if you look at your bulletin, I just have two points this morning, and each of them have a few sub-points. And so as we look at the danger of God's wrath, I've broken that down into three sections. We need to look at the sin of the people, we need to look at the wrath of God, and we need to look at the prayer of Moses. And it's my prayer that God would use this passage of Scripture to lead us as believers in Jesus to faithfulness so that if there is sin in our lives, we would repent of it quickly. And to do that, we first need to look at the sin of the people in verses 1 through 6. Read with me from Exodus chapter 32. When the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up! Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. Now pause for just a second. That means that they led their entire families in idolatry. That their, their wives and their children were also brought in to worship a false god. The responsibility they had was to lead their families in faithfulness, and instead, they collect an offering for idolatry without leaving any member of the family uninvolved. Now continue with me in verse 3. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. There are at least six ways that the people sin as they directly break all of the promises that they have made to God up to this point. First, they do not wait, as Moses told them to do. If you've been with us in Exodus, you know that God has been giving Moses instructions about what worship in Israel will be like. He has taught them 
how to worship. He has instituted a priesthood. He has been communing in the presence with God 40 days on the mountain. And before he goes up to the mountain, he instructs the people to wait until he comes back. Remember, they are not strangers to the power of God. So the instruction to wait is given in the context that they have already seen God deliver them. God has led them every step of the way to the mountain, out of Egypt through the Red Sea. They have followed his visible presence the whole time. Scripture says that they could see the glory of God in a cloud and in a pillar of fire. And so they know his presence is with them. Seventy elders of Israel, leaders of the tribes of Israel, have seen God's glory. They have even eaten a meal in his presence as they promised to obey. So they are not strangers to who God is. But rather than waiting on God's timing, they break their promise and demand immediate action. Secondly, They have clearly sworn to keep God's law, which means they will not have any gods before them. They will not make any images of anything in heaven or on earth to worship God. And they will honor the name of the Lord, the first three commandments, and they break all three of them in a single day. They have sworn to keep God's law, not just saying, yeah, we'll we'll give it our best shot, They have sacrificed bulls and been sprinkled with the blood of the covenant to seal the promise. This is a blood covenant. Their lives are on the line to keep this covenant. But rather than obeying God's clear commands to have no other gods, to make no images, to honor his name, instead they demand a new God or new gods that they can see, that they can approach, that will meet their needs in a moment instead of waiting on the God who has already delivered them. So first, they do not wait. They break the immediate command of Moses. Second, they break their covenant promise. Third, Aaron fails them as a priest. He has a unique responsibility as a leader, and in fact, all of their elders do. Aaron is responsible. If you remember when we went through the priesthood, we said a priest does two things. He represents God to the people. So when God says something, he faithfully delivers the message to the people. He doesn't invent things to say. He says what God wants the people to know. So he represents God to the people. Aaron fails in that capacity. Aaron knows the clear command of God. And when the people come to him, he should have reminded them of the clear command of God and the promise that they made. But rather than doing that, He simply does not function as a representative of God at all. So he fails his first obligation to represent God to the people. The second thing a priest does is a priest represents the people to God. And so a priest's responsibility is to take the offerings of the people and bring them before the Lord in faithful worship. Now Aaron knows what that worship is like, and Aaron also knows the danger of not worshiping God as he should. He has been warned again that if he offers unacceptable offerings or if he's not pure, that he will die in the presence of a holy God. And so his responsibility to represent the people to God is a sacred and a dangerous duty. And rather than fulfill that obligation of a priest, he takes the people's offerings and leads them in idol worship. 
So Aaron fails as a priest. The leadership failed. Number four, they spend the gifts of God on something that is not God. Their worship was costly. Sometimes people say that they cannot worship God because they don't have money or they don't have time. And the reality is, God has given all of us what we have, and we will spend it in worship to the Lord, or we will spend it in worship to idols. All worship is always costly. The question is, what are you worshiping? They take the gold that God gave them while they were in Egypt, and instead of using it in worship of the tabernacle, they use it to make a false god. And so they spend the good gifts of God on other things. Number five, they enjoyed God's blessings without God. They enjoyed God's blessings without God. Most of what they do, God had promised to bless them with. He has promised to go with them every step of the way as he gives them a land in the land of Canaan that is flowing with milk and honey. He's promised them abundant crops. He's promised to bless them so that they don't have diseases. He has promised to bless them so that they have children and families. And there are beautiful blessings. And what they do is they enjoy a feast without the Lord. And they enjoy pleasures that are not sanctioned by God. So when when it says... The people rose up to play. There are sexual overtones in that verse that says this is a wild party. Later in this chapter, when we see Moses coming down, we see that the people are dancing. We're Baptists. It's not that dancing is wrong. The dancing's not the problem. The problem is they are, they are committing sins that, that go against what God has clearly told them. Do not commit adultery. Well, they are, they are worshiping an idol in a way that is sexually impure. Their worship took God's gifts without God. And think for a second. We are naturally tempted when we read people being foolish in the Bible to think how silly and wrong they are and to think that we are fine. But do not think that you and I are better than they are. We also worship comfort and pleasure. And we are willing to sacrifice generously for ourselves for our own comfort and pleasure. The question is, do you sacrifice for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you actually take the gifts he's given you and worship the Lord with them? Or do you also commit many of these sins? Number six, they stole God's glory and gave it to a God they made up. Aaron actually invites them to a feast and he says, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. He uses God's covenant name and ascribes it to a cow that he fashioned out of gold. God is very clear. He is jealous for his own glory. He will not let a false idol take credit for his work. And yet Aaron says, this will be a feast to the Lord. This God brought you up out of the land of Egypt. He lies. He tells them things that are not true, and takes the glory and praise that Yahweh should have had, And gives it to an idol. One commentator I read pointed out that everything they do here in these verses 
has been described as an aspect of worshiping the one true God, but they break it and they distort it and it becomes a perversion and it becomes sin because it's divorced from what God has clearly told them to do. In other words, you might think, I said earlier that it's like a wife exchanging marriage vows with her husband and then inviting a stranger to bed. Maybe one way to understand this is to think it's like asking your girlfriend to wear your wife's perfume. You're taking something that should be dedicated to the person that you've made a covenant with and giving it to someone outside that relationship so that you can enjoy the aroma of your promise without the person that you have made the promise to. God has given every believer gifts. The New Testament teaches that all of us are to do the work of the ministry, which means God has created us with special talents and abilities and supernaturally given us a calling as believers so that we can proclaim the gospel of Jesus, that God loves you, that Jesus died for your sin and rose from the dead. We are to spend ourselves in spreading that message in Holly and around the world. We do that as a church, by working as a team. Not all of us have the same spiritual gifts. Some of us have teaching and preaching gifts. Some of us have gifts of administration. We have a number of different things that the the Bible teaches the Holy Spirit has given every believer and that we should continue to pray for more gifts so that we can be used of God to advance the kingdom. The question is, do you take his good gifts and then serve other things? In your life, are you spreading the good news of Jesus? This is a pretty simple question to answer. Are you supporting people who actively share the good news and invite people to repent? It's easy to say that you do things that are good, but the question is, do they spread the gospel of Jesus? Are sinners converted? Are they believing that Jesus died for their sins and rose from the dead? You don't have to be the one that that says those words, although I think all of us should. All of us should learn to spread the gospel in clear and simple ways and invite people to respond. But you do need to be serving the Lord so that the message goes out and spreads here in Holly and around the world. Are you? Let me remind you that if you have been baptized, you also have become part of a covenant that says, my life is died with Jesus. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The Bible teaches that you are not your own person anymore. You belong to God because he redeemed you with the blood of Christ. If you are not living your life for him, you are living for your own enjoyment and pleasure without him, You are taking your life back after you have publicly said, my life belongs to God in baptism. If you are living for yourself, you are committing spiritual adultery and cheating on the Lord after you have made a sacred promise to him. The book of Hebrews in the New Testament was written to Christians and it warns believers in the clearest of terms, do not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This does happen to believers. Hebrews warns God disciplines those he loves 
And the writer points to ancient Israel as an example of God's discipline, saying God will discipline believers as surely as he disciplined his people in the Old Testament. Do not think that you and I are unlike Israel. So we've looked at the sin of the people. Now notice the wrath of God in verses 7 to 10. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. God's justice is threatening to wipe out the entire nation. He threatens to consume them, and then he's not going to break his promise to Abraham. He's going to keep that promise through Moses. And you and I might think that God would never harm his own people, but let me remind you, not only does the Old Testament record him doing exactly that, in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 5, there are two believers, two Christians named Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira lie to the Apostle Peter. They give a gift and pretend that they are being more generous than they are. The problem is not that they didn't give everything. The problem is they lie about it. And Peter says, you've not lied to men, you have lied to God. And God strikes them dead in the church. And the scripture says, and the whole church feared the Lord. You can read about that in Acts chapter 5. God has not changed. Or you might remember 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I use that almost every month when we do communion because Paul describes how we are to remember the death of Jesus. If you recognize that the death of Jesus is for your sin and you try to continue living in sin, you are taking Jesus' death lightly. And Paul says, many among you sleep. In other words, many among you have died because you have taken the Lord's death lightly. And the book of Hebrews that I referenced earlier is full of warnings for believers to turn from sin because our God is still a consuming fire. So let me plead with you today. Turn from your sin. If you have been dishonest or lazy or impure, if you have served something other than God, if you are building your own empire rather than building the church of Jesus Christ, if you have not forgiven someone else the way God has forgiven you, if you have stolen, if you have failed to serve the Lord with your life, then let me urge you today, repent. God is kind and patient and full of mercy. And so let me urge you in light of the wrath of God to repent today. It's because of the mercy of God that Moses turns and prays for the nation of Israel. And I want to notice his, his prayer in verses 11 through 14. Notice what Moses does as God says that he will wipe out the nation. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent, 
did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth. He's saying, God, your reputation is on the line. Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Moses prays on behalf of the people of God who are caught in sin. And I want to say to you today, some of you may be here, and you may be in a good place with your relationship with the Lord. Let me plead with you. If you are not caught up in idolatry, you certainly know people who are. The frightening reality is we often deceive ourselves so that we think that American idolatry is no big deal. Some people grow up in the church and they walk away from the church and others will defend them saying, well, it's just a busy time in their lives. They can't make time for church. If you think that, you are crazy. There is no such thing as a Christian who is too busy for worship. I'm not saying that it doesn't mean we'll miss a Sunday here and there. But if the worship of the Lord does not matter at all to someone, it means they don't know the Lord. If you really believe that your soul was headed for hell and that God in his mercy saved you through the death of his son on a cross, how can you be too busy to obey the God who saved you? You owe your life to him. The reality is, if you are too busy to worship God, it is because you are worshiping something else. And if you are a Christian worshiping at another altar, you are in danger of God's discipline. And if you're not saved, you are in danger of his wrath, of his final judgment. If you know people in danger of God's discipline and wrath, let me beg you to pray for them. Your prayers will make a difference as surely as Moses' prayers made a difference. Do not grow tired of praying. In Deuteronomy, it says, Moses prayed and fasted. It means he went without food and he went without water for 40 days praying on behalf of the nation of Israel because he knew the danger they were in. Are you persuaded of the danger that your loved ones and neighbors are in? Are you praying for them with the intensity that comes from being convinced that God will judge sinners? Let me urge you to pray. You might expect that this would be a fantastic place to end the message, and in some ways it it would be because you see the sin of the people, you see the wrath of God, and you see the great intercession of Moses. And God says, I will relent. I will not destroy the people. And so the prayer is answered and the day is saved. And yet the story is only half over. What happens is the disaster that God initially told Moses would take place does not happen. But there is still disaster in the camp of Israel. And so the next thing we see is the division caused by devotion. Division caused by devotion. In other words, the people that choose to repent, the people that choose to turn and be faithful to Yahweh, now become a source of division as they stand for the Lord. And the disaster that God had said 
would come does not come, but there is real disaster in the camp. And I want to say today, there is real disaster coming because of the anger and judgment of God. He will judge sin. And there are two options. We can repent and trust that God's wrath was poured out on Jesus for us and invite people to that, or we can fail to believe the Lord and experience the destruction that comes with God's judgment. Those are the only two options that we have available. There is no third way. And so look with me at the division that's caused by devotion after Moses prays and God relents. And first we will see the violent cost of idolatry. Read with me verses 15 through 29. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides, in the front and on the back they were written. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, It is not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, Let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose, this is his responsibility, to the derision of their enemies, their reputation and God's reputation is damaged. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp, and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. And Moses said, Today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his son and of his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. This passage is a gift from God. It lets us see with great clarity how deadly idolatry is. Idol worship always leads to death. And if you are shocked by this kind of violence, let me remind you that Jesus' own death is shockingly violent. It is more violent than this. If the cross shows us what judgment on sin looks like, then this is recognizable judgment for those who rejected God's covenant. Let me remind you that they knew the danger of worshiping idols. They had seen God's wrath on Egypt. They had seen the death of the firstborn son. They have seen the death of Pharaoh and all his army. 
They had been led in war and seen God punish people who were hardened in sin. They know the danger of neglecting God. The problem is, they didn't think that God would punish them. So let me urge you to let this violence in Scripture do two things. First, let it cause you to search your heart. Are you right with God right now? Have you allowed sin to remain in your heart? Then let me beg you to turn from it now. The Bible teaches that right now God is patient, wanting all men to come to repentance. But we must never confuse God's patience with God's approval. God's patience will end as surely as it ended for the people who died here. So the time to confess your sins and receive the mercy of God is now. It is today. There is urgency. And let me urge you to trust in the mercy of God that is extended through Jesus. So the first thing to do in light of this violence is to repent. And the second thing to do is we need to pray for those who are in sin. I said God is patient right now. We do not know when his patience will end. So you see Moses for a second time prays for the people as they are still dealing with the division caused by idolatry. Verse 30 says this, The next day, Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin. He has now seen it with his own eyes. He now understands the depth of what they did. And so he says, And now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angels shall go before you. Nevertheless, In the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people because they had made the calf the one that Aaron made. You can see in the prayer of Moses, he does not deny anything. He does not make excuses. He doesn't make light of their sin. All he does is he pleads for forgiveness And he even puts his life on the line as he passionately prays for the people. He says he does not want to live if God will not forgive his people. In Deuteronomy, it says of this time that Moses fasted and prayed for 40 days that God would forgive his people. And he prayed for Aaron also, who had sinned incredibly by failing to do what God had called him to do. And he claimed the promise of God... And begged for forgiveness. When I say he claimed the promise of God. He had reminded God of the promises he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And said, Lord, this is what you've said you do. In your mercy, please forgive this sin. And God listened to him. Yet, notice this. You cannot ask for forgiveness for someone else. God relents from the judgment that he had initially said he would bring down on the people, but what he does is those who do not repent 
are still responsible for their sin. And so you see that God sends a plague so that anyone who was not killed by the Levites is struck down as a consequence of their idolatry. God listens to prayers. They make a difference. But God will not let the guilty, unrepentant go unpunished. God struck those who did not repent. God's justice will never overlook sin. So let me ask you, do you need to repent today? Do you have loved ones who need to repent? We are clearly warned that sin is deadly serious. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 12 warns that we must not have evil, unbelieving hearts. The temptation is to think, it's been so long since God did anything like this, he would not do anything in our lifetime. But Peter warns that Jesus is returning, and there will come a day when we are responsible for our sins. So the question is, do you believe God? Do you believe God hates sin? The scripture says, Psalm 97 verse 10, O you who love the Lord, hate evil. Do not tolerate it. Do not pretend that it is acceptable. Be honest about the coming judgment of God and urge people to repentance. Hebrews 3.13 commands us to encourage one another so that none of us are hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. If you see a brother or a sister in Christ in the church and you think that person is being led astray, that person is caught up in sin, you see that they're not worshiping as they should, Go and encourage them. Make sure that the sins that they commit do not lead them away from God and to final destruction, but bring them back and point them to Jesus. Given the danger that some who are part of the people of God do not genuinely know the Lord and are headed for final destruction and judgment, Hebrews says, encourage one another, look to Jesus, confess your sins, and remember God's promise. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, in your mercy, you have provided Christ. You have provided a lamb for the sacrifice that atones for our sins. Moses couldn't do it, but Jesus could, and Jesus has paid it all. Lord, I ask for believers that you would forgive us for our complacency. Forgive us for the times that we worship at other altars. Lord, make us aware of that. Don't let us be hardened in sin. Open our eyes. Convict our hearts. Please work. Father, I ask that you would give us a boldness to call people to repentance. Let us faithfully, lovingly present the gospel of Jesus and the hope that we have in Christ. And if you're here today and this message has spoken to your heart, let me urge you, take just a few moments and pray. Pray right now. Talk to the Lord about whatever he's laid on your heart. Maybe you need to ask for forgiveness Maybe you need to pray on behalf of someone else. If you need to pray on behalf of someone else, let me encourage you to pray with two or three other people and also to be faithful in prayer. 
I want to leave a little bit of space for you to talk to the Lord. In just a few moments, I'll close us. Father, we praise you for your love shown to us in the death of Jesus. We praise you for your mercy. We ask that you would help us to believe. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.